Hello and welcome to week two of the School of High Tide podcast, supported by Nick Hearn Books. My name's Naomi Shonia Thomas and I'm an emerging writer, producer and host of this podcast, alongside Juba Daz, Artistic Director of High Tide, and Chris Sonix, Associate Artist at High Tide, and also the curator of this programme. Our guest for this week is Sonia Jalale, who is a writer and theatre maker from Manchester. She's currently under commission with High Tide. Her previous work includes Happy Birthday Without You, which was a comedy solo show, which she created and toured to the Kiln Theatre and Payne's Plows Roundabout at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. She also works a lot in community theatre and has worked with companies such as Donmar Warehouse, Company 3 and Hull Truck. This week's episode is all about the value of joy in theatre, from creating work that's joyful, to bringing joy into your creative process, and the power of using joy to shape your career as an artist. My name's Sonia Janale. I'm so excited to be here um, because I'm talking about joy. And before I really get into talking about joy, um, let me just preface this with, um, I am no expert on joy. (laughs) I have no right to talk about how to gain joy or um, this is basically, this is not a self-care podcast because if it was then there is absolutely no way I would be allowed to (laughs) be on it, to talk about it or anything. Um, but I do what I do want to talk about and why why I'm excited to be here is um talking about the value of joy in theatre. Um that feels like a cool conversation to me. Um and actually it really landed in my mind recently um on a writer's group that I'm in. Uh Emily Lim, who is a brilliant, brilliant director and runs public acts at the National Theatre and does the those huge community theatre projects that they have on there. Um she was this guest speaker in this writer's room that I was in. And um she said that she thinks a lot in her work, and they talk about this a lot in public acts, um, that their work is all about creating unity through radical joy. And that really landed in my mind and just really spoke to me because I think I'd sort of instinctively been doing this thing with my work, but I hadn't really been able to name it or label it um, in my mind. And that really, it really helped. The, the idea that any joy should be radical is, is so sad and and shouldn't be of course joy shouldn't be radical but I think it is I think where there's adversity then then I think that joy in that face of in the face of that adversity is radical and I think it's something that I see a lot in community theatre that I do and celebration celebration being a huge thing sorry just I just thought celebration is it came up a lot actually in this workshop that we did for School of High Tide a lot of the writers were talking about celebration and celebrating cultures specifically. And this idea that, um, you know, when you're, when your voice is underrepresented, I think there's a really powerful and radical thing in taking control of that narrative. If joy comes into that, then yeah, that's radical to me. I think, um, often when, I don't know, for me, when I'm writing, I think up until your session, maybe, I think joy might not have been the top of my list of things that I was trying to do. But mm. now after hearing you speak, I'm like, this is so important. 
Um, I think some, I don't know if it was you who said it or someone in the class said about representation on stage. You can't be it if you can't see it. And if we're yeah. only seeing ourselves on stage in trauma or um, going through some kind of crisis linked to our identity, then uh, how do we ever develop, I suppose, even as people? Because we, you can't even imagine a world in which we're not going through those those traumas on a daily basis. It, it was one of the big topics that we talked about and um, it highlighted how much the problem it is and how far we've got to go in that, in, in that um, a lot of the writers felt that they had been steered towards writing stories about their trauma um, or about their culture's trauma and yeah that that can't that can't be that can't be we have to be able to reimagine um the way we tell these stories yes trauma is absolutely part of it and pain is part of it but so is hope and joy it has to be I think it really has to be I think it I think we're doing um any culture an absolute injustice and a disservice if we're not allowing all those different sides to it and all the light and shade to be to be shown on our stages I think it's a real problem if we can't do that yeah, sometimes I think I want to speak about an issue um, mm. and maybe a play is a great way to bring that issue to light and to make audiences feel uncomfortable. Mm. Um, but sometimes I wrestle between whether, should it be a play? Should it be a documentary? What am I doing? <laughs> um, you spoke about having escapism in your work and being able to just let yourself for, almost forget about the real world or what's going on out there. Um, like, how do you approach that when you're, when you're writing something? Well, yeah, the escapism thing, do you know what? That's the thing that I grapple with quite a lot. You know, if I take an example, okay, so I'm thinking of Shit's Creek, right? But like, that isn't just, that isn't, the, the joy that, that that Dan Levy has put into that um, is more than just sort of whimsical escapism because he has deliberately reimagined a world without homophobia and it, it challenges us in a really powerful way I, I felt challenged as an audience member in that because when I was watching it I kept expecting the moment of homophobia I can't that's that feels like the rhythm of the queer narrative to me like uh, as speaking as a queer person I am like waiting for that moment waiting for the the backlash it didn't come that was amazing. Mm. That was such a powerful thing. And it made me question my own kind of expectations and like where that's coming from. And, you know, like invited me to sort of to let go of that as well. And um, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, depict um, homophobia in queer narratives. Of course you can. Of course, that's a valid part of your storytelling. And if that's your truth, you know, write it for sure. But if you want to reimagine the world and show a joyful version where all love is respected and um, and people, you know, just live happily and joyfully and in love, then, oh, my God, yeah, do it. Yeah. I guess with, like, sci-fi and things like that, there's always a tendency. You go more towards dystopia. I rarely see work where it's like, imagine if, and then bring in oh, this yeah. thing, like a better version of our world. <laughs> Um, well, we're so yeah, dark, like aren't we? As like creatures, yeah. we're so messed up. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, why? Why do I spend all my time watching like fucking uh, true crime? <laughs> What's wrong yeah, with true. me? <laughs> like I am aware I am doing that, 
you know, as, as somebody who's on a podcast talking about the value of joy, I spent a flipping long lot of time on Wikipedia looking at serial killers. <laughs> you know I mean? oh, we all like, get sucked into that, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we do. Um, um, but I feel like that's okay. I'm like this. This this talk is not me. This is so far from me saying, "Hey, let's forget the pain. Let's just think about the joy." That that would be ridiculous. That it's just. I think that um, I'm noticing that that I think actually really after that talk, after that workshop, and having this conversation with other artists it really landed for me like wait a minute yeah we if we're feeling pressure to write trauma then I feel like the radical response to that is to write joy. And how do you bring that joyfulness into the playwriting process itself because I think there's this Mm. belief or idea that we need to put ourselves through trauma to create our best work and bear like be in floods of tears as we're writing a script or whatever Uh, the pained artist trope Um, how have you sort of fought against that in in the way that you create work? Um, I think this is something that totally depends on the playwright and and however however you best like to work and what your process is and all that stuff. And that's something that I'm totally still figuring out, you know what I mean? But one thing that, um, a couple of things that I've noticed is that I I really like to work collaboratively. Well, if I can have the luxury of spending money on a cast of people to come in and a load of actors play around and mess around and make me laugh for a week, then great. I also think that when I'm writing just solo, when I don't have that luxury, um, I can't remember who I knit this from, but someone sort of framed this and it just really worked for me. Um, They were talking about writing, like having treats in their play. So like certain scenes are treats. That's like a scene where something wild happens or the form breaks down or I get to have some music in there. Something that feels like an absolute treat. I love how you use joy to determine where you want to go in your career. So mm. I feel a bit lost sometimes. There's no clear career path uh, when you're writing or doing some sort of creative activity, job, career, whatever it is. Um, but I feel like that way that you follow joy, it's just like if you stay true to who you are, that, that that path will be there. You don't need to stress. You don't need to panic, um, which mm. I which I love. Um, but I'd love to hear more about the work that you've done previously. Um, so it'd be a great time to bring in Shuba to ask more about your work as a writer. And here Shuba is, delivered to you via the internet waves. Uh, Sonia, it is a joy, of course, a joy to have you with us in this podcast series. Um, as we were putting this together, uh, we felt your voice would, would be just so important, not least because you're currently playwright under commission to us at High Tide and... Our note sessions and conversations have been amongst some of my most joyous experiences <laughs> the last year or so, um, with lots of post-it notes, importantly. Oh, yeah, A bit always. of Britney chat. Always. Um, but also that, um, you know, of course, um, you know, your, your, your principles are clear in the works. The, the play that Sonia is creating for us, um, a play called Oh, We Do Like To Be, is... Um, hilarious and joyous and unexpected and playful um but also full of real heart and and covering some really serious ground as well um I suppose one thing that struck me about this 
radical need for joy um, is what you feel the place is for that and whether that's been affecting you as you've thought about our recovery from the experience that we're currently in, the pandemic, this experience of lockdown, and whether a need for joy feels even more significant in these circumstances. Yeah, totally. It's it's something I've been thinking about a lot, and I think a lot of artists have been as well. Um, I think the main thing to acknowledge is that we're all grieving. We've all lost something in the past year. And um, and I've been thinking a lot about that grief and I've been learning a lot about it as well because one thing I think this pandemic has thrown up an opportunity to do is to open up that conversation um, around grief and loss and death and failure um, that I think has kind of been something that we're a bit scared of as a society and we don't really talk about very much um and there's lots of there's actually there's lots of movements to um uh talk about this in schools more you know include death education as well in the in the same way that you have sex education that's like been something that I've learned about recently and it's really opened my mind up to how important that that is and 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 how that should be something we should we should be doing um um and so when you think about grief and part of that process is absolutely pain, of course, but that pain needs acknowledging. It needs acknowledging and it needs experiencing. You need to be allowed to feel it um, in all in all its many different shapes and forms. Um, but I think an also a really important part of grief is hope. Um, it's the bit that allows the healing. And yeah, you can't, it's so important that you don't skip over that pain bit to get to the hope which might be um you know I think we'll have to keep our eye on that um but equally it does no good to just dwell in the trauma um and so as theatre makers I think we have that kind of responsibility to hold those two things together and I think those those two things can be done in tandem and 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 should be given equal weight um I think it's just going to come down a lot to like listening listening to what people need and allowing ourselves to I don't know like express our own truths like with what you need to do is have a massive laugh then then that's what you need to do and if and, and I hope that theatres are able to open up their stages to all the many many stories and different feelings we all need to express um yeah, I, I I look forward to that. It's definitely something I want to do. So it's interesting you mentioned comedy there because, you know, one of the things about writing joy and one of the scariest things, I'll tell you, as a director, directing comedy is terrifying because if you're directing a very serious play and everyone's very still and very silent, you can say to yourself, oh, yeah, they're thinking about it. They're really thinking about it. If you're mm. directing a comedy and you don't get the laugh, then you know you have messed up, <laughs> uh, which is terrifying. Um, so those have been amongst my most nerve-wracking kind of opening night experiences. Um, but that that thing about comedy, and I suppose it, it's, it's close to joy, um, that idea of being funny and creating scenarios and situations 
uh, that lead an audience to laughter. And that is, as I say, it's terrifying for me as a director. It's terrifying for many young writers as well. I wonder if you have any um, top tips or thoughts to pass along about engaging with this idea of comedy. That's a big one. (laughs) Here you go. Here's here's top tip. How to write comedy. No, come on. No, no, I do not have that. But what I I can say is like, no, I can't. It's it's so difficult. Writing comedy is so hard. And it's, it's, mm. I think, I think I can't, there isn't like an, I, I can't do that. I'm not good enough to be able to give you that agency. But what I can do, what I can say is like, what I, what I notice is really important in comedy. Surprise, like surprise, it mm. has to be, it has to be unexpected. And that doesn't mean like, oh, you, you have to like, you have to say something really out there or you have to push the boundaries. I, no, I don't mean that. I just mean, um, just the really the constant the the way that um it's kind of what actors do with improvisation it's just really playing just being really playful and surprising your other the other actor that you're playing with um with with the balls that you're kind of throwing them um that's that's a huge part of it I think rhythm is so important like I do a lot of when I'm writing, I do, a, I actually, sometimes I kind of beat it out like, like a little drum, um, <laughs> a little sad drum. Um, and like, the, and that it's so not, it's so not technical. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have like, there's not a formula or anything and I'm not, it's not like a iambic pentameter thing that I'm doing. It's just like, I need to go, oh, it feels like there's a beat missing there. Oh, now the laugh, now the that lands a laugh mm. like, like it's difficult to explain but it feels like rhythm's a really important thing um and and oh truthfulness but it's just all about truthfulness like if you can feel the writer t- writing a joke there's nothing less funny than that like if it's just all about the truth of the character and if the character is just being entirely just if if it if it's just entirely rooted in the truth of that character, it, it's it's more likely going to be funny. I think. I think some of the great comedy writing that I've encountered is about that about the character having that truth and that three dimensionality, and then mm. the humour arising in mm-hmm. what situations are thrown at them, um, and their response being truthful. And it's interesting that you talk about rhythm within that as well, because there is such a rhythm to comedy actually we know instinctively when something feels like it's a punchline or when you feel that mm. setup and delivery that expectation and payoff and it's something really um subconscious within all of us as, as human beings but it I do think one of the um skills to cultivate as a writer in that space is your attentiveness to that and knowing that mm-hmm. there is uh, a kind of intrinsic and as you say, it's not necessarily iambic. It's not something that you could like uh, put a kind of musical chart next to and kind of figure it out as a code. But there is just something in this idea of, of payoff. I was really interested yeah. also to hear you talking about surprise there, because as human beings, one of our natural responses to shock is to laugh, actually. Um, so that idea of how surprise functions within plays to deliver that kind of... Um, uh, jolt into comedy, that jolt into laughter um, feels really important. What I think is really useful is is to watch watch loads and loads of YouTube videos of animals and babies just being there themselves, 
because that they they just have like innate comic timing and the rhythm at which like a, a a baby just does lives their life is just like innately mm. comic. <laughs> but but it, it, is. <laughs> it totally is. But no, but I do think, and it's so interesting that. So when you were talking earlier to Naomi about this, you know, all of these preconceptions we have of the kind of miserable artist locked up in their room, pouring their angst onto a page, which is, you know, and, and can sometimes be part of a process. I'm never convinced these are part of healthy processes. No. Um, but I think there is so much of creating successful writing that is actually mining YouTube and having a laugh <laughs> and knowing that all of that is valid, that that enriches the work and it enriches who you are personally and, and how you bring that to your work. Totally. I think I, so part of my process, and sometimes I feel like I'm kidding myself with that, and maybe I am a little bit, I definitely procrastinate too much, I know that about myself, but also I think so much of it is that is percolate, percolating. And I, I have a very obsessive personality and I'll go through phases of a particular thing and like I'll go through a phase of like I mean oh my god in the last in the last lockdown my phase was vintage Coronation Street right I've never watched Coronation Street before and then I became I became an absolute like PhD student of Corrie (laughs) I started I found the first episode of Corrie on YouTube 1960 December 1960 I went through um and I'm now up to 1986 I watched 26 years worth of Coronation Street in a very small amount of time. <laughs> I haven't, I, yeah, I didn't want, I don't mean like I literally watched every single episode, but I mean, I've watched a lot. That's a lot of hours of that. Yes, that's maybe a waste of my time, but I like to think that it was in some way helping. <laughs> I mean, I can definitely see shades of that in the last draft of your play that I made. <laughs> so I think that's helping enormously. Uh, but it's human and that's the thing I mean and Corrie is a great example of this other thing which I was going to mention which is the way in which comedy and joy do sit very closely to tragedy and um, sort of the the more kind of um, I guess uh, serious and inverted commas um, elements of drama uh, which is I mean, this is where you mentioned truth as well. Comedy only works if it's played entirely for its truth. A comic character doesn't know they're in a comedy. They're just a human being trying to, you know, navigate their way through a set of circumstances. Um, Mm -hmm. And holding on to that feels like a really invaluable um, thing for navigating writing in that space, that, that actually this is about the character solving problems to make their life better. Um, it may just so be the case that in the episode of Faulty Towers that entails attacking a Mini Cooper with a twig. Um, <laughs> but nonetheless, the, the intention, the, the intention for the character is to, is to find their best way through life. Mm. And it's the, I think, yeah, the two things sitting so closely together, like if I think about actually some of my favourite comic episodes of sitcoms have actually also been incredibly sad like the episode where the nun dies in the royal family is just one of the most beautiful bits of television i've ever seen and and it's both enormously funny and joyful just because of the heart of it and the love that they have for each other i mean that is pure solid gold joy um and it's it's heartbreaking as well 
because also joy is is one of the tools we have at our disposal as theatre makers to make audiences care as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're so in love with the characters and characters who make you laugh and deliver that serotonin to experience their pain is then just that bit more devastating. It can also, it can totally... What's really amazing is when plays do that thing where they just absolutely bond all the audience together through this, through like a moment of just joyful explosion. Like I think of the end of Barbershop Chronicles, that did it perfectly. And suddenly everyone's just up on their feet dancing. Some people are on the stage dancing with the actors. Theatre just has this power to do that. We all just got up on our feet and just spontaneously danced together. And we're a bunch of people that we don't know each other. And that's amazing. It is. It's, you know, and it's the thing that I think above and beyond anything else we all hope to be able to get back to in the next few months. Yes, please. Now, on that note of forthcoming joys, I will introduce and hand the baton on to um, (laughs) a regular source of joy in my life, Mr Chris Sonex. Thank you, Sonia um, for doing the workshop and, and doing this podcast joy was one of the things that I um that was the thing that I was most passionate about or one of the one of the things I was most passionate about when we were putting this together um because I also see joy as such a sort of rebellion in in yeah. so many ways as well but I always think you know when I you know growing up uh, you know on a council estate and and everything being quite dire and, and and having quite a lot of trauma there but there was always joy around and I and you could always find something that was that was funny. And then you go and watch mm-hmm. theatre and then every time you see something that's like working class, cancel estate, it's like killed a dog, raped a mum kind of. It's like, so disempowering. And, yeah, it just makes me feel like that's all I, is that how you see me, you know, mm-hmm. which I find really interesting. When I, did, when I, did, um, when I directed uh, Anna Jordan's We Anchor in Hope, which is, she's set in a pub, a working class pub, a pub, a pub, and an area that I grew up in, um, mm-hmm. and I don't normally give this much mind um, reviewer-wise because I think you know everything is valid. Um, you, if you feel something, you feel something. But there was one review that was like, "It's just it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel true. It's too like because it was a joyous play. It's a joyous play about fundamentally Brexit and communities being destroyed, um, mm. even though it doesn't seem like it on the outset. And they and this reviewer couldn't un- understand it. I think, and I thought that's interesting, isn't it? Like you've just put this whole group of people as as one thing marginalized people have have fought back with humor forever like that's yeah that's why northerners are funny <laughs> do you know what i mean like <laughs> that's that's it like what else you've just got to be able it's just it's sometimes it's like the last tool in your kit and um and 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 it's also it's such a survival instinct and um and I think I, I well, I think if that review doesn't get it, well, you know, it's their loss, isn't it? If they didn't get it, that's absolutely fine. And it's just interesting. Um, but I wanted to ask you about your joy, <laughs> um, and so I asked <laughs> <What's that? laughs> um, you to give me uh, your favourite album. But you didn't brilliantly give me an album. You gave me a playlist, and I think that that is completely uh, valid. And I wondered if we could share that um, playlist. Um, on something alongside this uh, podcast. Do you want to talk about it? I am so glad that this playlist, which is called Camp AF, 
is going to go public <laughs> because of this podcast. <laughs> so this playlist is... Um, Viral, I think. <laughs> Um, well, it just, I think it deserves it, you know. Um, yeah, this ca- this playlist is... Uh, <laughs> I mean, it does what it says on the tin. It's just very canvas. I think there's a lot of ABBA, Shirley Bassey, <laughs> Diana Ross, <laughs> the usual contenders in my um, sort of camp old woman existence. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, no, it's, it, it, it's, it's mad because listening to that kind of music... Like no matter how much I listen to it to death, actually, do you know what? It's quite funny. My um my Spotify, what's it? Spotify wrapped at the end of last year was just an embarrassment. Like <laughs> my top five were share. <laughs> and um and and my and my be- my most played genre was something like, oh what oh my god, what was it? It was like adult adult nostalgia. And I looked up <laughs> what it was, it was just basically like music for the over 50s. <laughs> like smooth fm but that is what i listen to and and um i probably shouldn't be ashamed but there is part of me that's like oh wouldn't it be cool if i was cool (laughs) um uh yeah but this this playlist just gives me like palpable joy does it not make you cool that you don't think you're cool um sure yeah let's say that (laughs) um (laughs) yeah i'm really cool chris (laughs) I was just thinking it would be interesting if your top artist was Cher and then your top genre was like dubstep or something. It would just have been... I was waiting for the the (laughs) punchline. No, that would... um, Yeah, Cher is is huge on the dubstep scene, don't you know? Yeah. (laughs) I remember actually when I went to see my first... I went to see my first dubstep, dubstep whatever night. No, I went to see how uncool I am. I went to my first dubstep night at... um, in Sheffield at Tuesday Club when I was at uni there and I and I, I literally was just about to go in and then I turned to my mate Lisa and I went so who is dubstep <laughs> I should I shouldn't be allowed out to places that is that is phenomenal well I think you've got um I think you've got another fullback career as a DJ Thank you. for uh nostalgia <laughs> yeah nostalgia do you know what um you should i think everybody needs to listen nostalgia to nostalgia is it yeah interesting that word comes up i think that i'm obsessed with it i think maybe it's maybe it's an unhealthy obsession i don't know but like that it, i i think i do i go to that place a lot i think in all my plays there's some element of nostalgia in it whether it's like i don't know looking back to something in your youth or um um, or nostalgic for a time period that isn't your own, or nostalgic for um, an existence that you used to have. Like it's something that absolutely fascinates me. I, I'm kind of fascinated by by places that are nostalgic. I, I think that's a lot of of why I wanted to write. Oh, we do like to be, which is all about um, Blackpool. It's well, it's based in Blackpool, and it's um, and there's a lot of the kind of Blackpool nightlife drag culture is a big part of that play and it's 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 pure nostalgia for me I think any seaside town in the UK that that kind of seaside town is just like it's just pure nostalgia um and there's a lot of joy there's a lot of joy in that for me it's it's interesting isn't it? the um lot of lot of seaside towns joy everywhere but then also this dark sort of yeah uh left alone sort of feel about it as well which is which is interesting i think and nostalgia on nostalgia though um i wanted to ask also about um your 
your theatre experiences. And one of the things where quite a lot of us are obviously m- missing being in uh, a building or a outside space or wherever it might be that we've been watching theatre together communally. Um, and I was thinking about something that we could all talk about, which is something that we're missing, something what our fa- what, what is our favourite moment in theatre um, from whether that's the... Uh, the warm wine that's overpriced to the um, the moment of clapping that happens um, before the show's actually ended. Uh, and I wondered what yours was. I, I've been thinking about this actually. I've done I've done this in a few workshops recently. Just I think it's a useful thing to remember. What's that? Yeah, what are those moments? I've, so I've been doing this a bit. Um, what kind of comes up over and over again, like whatever moment I turn to, it's so often a moment when um, there's a very real connection with the audience. Um, I love that. I love all that. I love all those all plays where um, I don't know where they suddenly the audience are all invited onto the stage and we just have a party. Love that. Like that's mm-hmm. so often the moments that I kind of turn to. And uh, do you know? Uh, I think children's theatre does that beautifully I I don't I don't make children's theatre really but um I I know a few companies that do there's one called the herd theatre and they make the most beautiful joyful work for children and and it and children just at the absolute root of everything they do and and it totally pays off because the moment I love to watch that as an adult and the moments that I think about it's like in one of their shows, they at the end of the play there was just this huge snowball fight, and all the kids in the audience were just oh my goodness, the palpable joy! Like their faces just lit up, and they were like, "I'm allowed to do this." It's like being, it's being naughty, and the yeah. adults were doing the same in the audience. The adults were like, "Oh, what me too?" And like picking up these snowballs. Oh my oh god, it was so exciting and thrilling. Um, and I think about um. I think about a play. Actually, this is one that I made with a, a young company in Neesden for Kiln Theatre. And um, actually, funnily enough, that play was all about nostalgia. That that group, for a group of 15-year-olds, they were pretty nostalgic themselves. They always just kept talking about back <laughs> in the day, back in the day. I was like, back in what day, mate? You're like two. <laughs> um, but like, but the, they they were they taught they were very nostalgic as a group. And so we talked a lot about um yeah, like children's birthday parties that remember the whole play was about, yeah, reminiscing. And then anyway, the, at the end, at the end of the play, the play just broke down into this, into like this big party. And um, they all got all their, like all their family members that have come to see it, all their aunties and their moms and their sisters and their dads and their grandmas and their brothers and their, everyone just got up on the stage and they all just had, they all just danced to candy. And it was the <laughs> best. It was the best. And then they all just like, this trolley of sausage rolls came out and everyone was just having like party food. And it was, it just sort of, it, it was still, it's still theatre, but it fell apart into something totally something else and it was it's gorgeous those are always the moments that I think about now when I think about the, what what theatre has the power to do and what joy it can create it's really made me feel nostalgic right now on a Friday evening mm. on the um <laughs> on what I'm missing uh it's going to ask about pieces of advice that you would have given to yourself or just one piece of advice that you would have given to yourself um early on when you were when you were doing the acting and decided that you wanted to be a writer um, that would be helpful for people listening in? 
I mean, I think eventually I kind of listened listened to myself and did this anyway. It just took me maybe longer than it needed to. But I think I think it's um I mean that just stopped making me very happy. Do you know what it is? I think actually everything you do when you're for me when I'm making and everything I'm I've done really there's a this it's like there's a this tension between joy and fear and like you can't just have all joy there needs to be the fear and there needs to be the joy and I think what actually happened with me with acting is that um the fear completely overtook sudden very suddenly overtook the joy and it just took that out in fact quite I've heard Kathy Burke talk about this before and you know obviously (laughs) she's flipping amazing um but she talked about the the reason she stopped acting because now she mainly directs um it was the moment that she felt this like she that she, whenever she acts she she as she said she acted from this little feeling in her belly and then one day that literally just went it just it just went and so she was no longer acting from that place she was like acting from her head and then that wasn't fun anymore and she she kept going at it for a while and then eventually she just was like well this is just not working anymore I'm just going to stop doing this thing because it doesn't doesn't make me feel good it, got, it really that. resonated because it was it was exactly like I think I had or was was just acting from a place of pure adrenaline fizzy belly feeling and when when that left and I, I don't know I think it was something to do with it becoming um, it wasn't playful anymore. It was like a job. And then it just, it wasn't, it wasn't for me. I think, I think that's why actors are amazing because they just keep hold of that playful, fizzy belly energy. Um, and, and nothing about that, you know, the quite, quite diff, the, all the difficult stuff that comes with that job. Um, if, if, if all, if in, in spite of all that, you still maintain that feeling, I mean, then amazing. You're, you're born an actor. Do you know what I mean? And that's why you're amazing. And mm. that's why I want you in my workshops to, to be amazed by you. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I just think, yeah, feel, fit, follow the fizzy feeling in your belly. That doesn't mean that it's always just going to be there no matter what. Sometimes you have to kind of manufacture that. I get that. And 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 it's tough and and I think it's persistence is a good thing as well but yeah overall I think just make sure that what you're doing has the right amount of fear and the right amount of joy. I think um, the advice given by Sonia and Kathy Burke is like a powerhouse uh, of opinion <laughs> so definitely follow that that can't be right uh, <laughs> that can't be wrong even sorry listen to, um, listen, listen, listen to Kathy and mm. listen to Sonia <laughs> right. and if this podcast wasn't as as joyful enough um definitely check out Sonia's <laughs> uh Spotify because there's Donna Summer, Bob Streisand, Diana Ross, <laughs> Shaka Khan, uh Candy Stanton so um definitely check that out have a little dance in your room and just just let the joy take over you I think yeah. Sonia, thank you so much for talking to us. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. This podcast was produced by High Tide and supported by Nick Hearn Books and Lansons. It was made possible with support from the Culture Recovery Fund. It was presented and produced by myself, Naomi Shonier Thomas and co-presented by Chris Sonics and Shubhadaz. 
Chris Sonics also worked as a co-creator on the podcast. It was recorded by Callum Swingler and edited by Liam Cameron and featured original artwork by Dragonfly Design. Links to references and resources discussed in this episode can be found at www.hightide.org.uk where you can also subscribe to High Tide's newsletter and donate to the company. If you'd like to follow High Tide on Twitter, their handle is at underscore High Tide underscore. And don't forget, if you'd like to join in with the discussion in today's episode, you can do so on social media using the hashtag School of High Tide.